Mission 2, San Jose Avenue. From our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Hello and welcome to Total SF. No shade on the Exploratorium, but my favorite museum in the Bay Area is probably Adam Savage's Cave. It's in a secret spot in the middle of the Mission District, and it's filled with movie prop replicas, costumes, and other relics from his Mythbusters show and tested YouTube channel. I returned there a couple weeks ago and was relieved to see it was a total mess, like a lot of our workspaces right now. Adam Savage has been in post-apocalyptic, kind of last man on earth mode, by himself in the Mission District, laying low. Only the people at Papalote and Ritual Coffee know what he's up to. But that's about to change. Adam Savage's Silicon Convention, delayed by a year, comes to San Jose Convention Center on August 28th and 29th. It's going to be the first big science fiction cosplay convention since the pandemic started, and one of the first big group gatherings in the Bay Area. More information about that at www.siliconsj.com. It was a good time for Savage's return to Total SF. We talk about conventions and cosplay, but we also talk about the Mission District, what it's been like the past year living there, a little bit about the future of San Francisco. He's always a really thoughtful person to talk to on a bunch of subjects, and we talked a lot about uh, just being local, being a San Franciscan and the future of the city. Last thing, don't miss our Total SF Movie Night, our return to live movies at the Balboa Theater in San Francisco on Thursday, July 15th. San Andreas is our movie. We're starting at 7 p.m. Our pre-party, yes, we're having a pre-party, starts at 5 p.m. It's our return to live events, and we expect a lively crowd. I'm declaring the pandemic officially ends when The Rock parachutes into the Giants ballpark little bit of a spoiler there. Check it out at the Balboa Theater website. You can buy tickets there. Adam Savage coming up. Heather Knight has the week off. I'm Peter Hartlob, and this is Total SF. Thank you very much. So, so we're in your your uh, cave, yeah. and I've been here before. It never felt like a bunker before, <laughs> but now it feels a little bit like a bunker. Yeah. Um, I, I watch Tested, a um, little bit of a Omega Man vibe. Sure. You know, yeah. Last Man on Earth. What's it been like for the last year for you, just just being in the space and being a maker and not having those connections? Because I know connections are important to you. It's funny. Uh, look, we all just did the triage we needed to do to get on with our work. And the tested team was very gratified that uh, the work we were doing uh, still was able to, to keep us going through COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, we, did, we, we did pretty good last year, all things considered, whether or not there was a pandemic. Yeah. Um, and so that meant that my whole team got to keep working full-time, just remotely. So yeah, here in the cave... I didn't have much help at all. So as you can see, it is a total shit fight in here. Can I say that? Yeah, you can. You can swear. It's, it's, it's uh, a, uh, the Aussies would call it a dog's breakfast. Um, and it's, 
I mean, all of us have had to en- had to encounter this. It's like we build these support teams so that we can concentrate on the important parts of our job, and then COVID forced us all to do all of the parts of our jobs. Yeah, and so. There's tons of little projects sitting everywhere in the cave of like, well, that can't happen until that happens, and that can't happen until that happens. And the normal tile puzzle of our lives became a Rubik's Cube of our lives. Can I recommend, though, maybe keep it a little bit like this? Because as a someone who has come in here before and looked around like a tourist, yeah. you know, and yeah. like I'm recognizing episodes and stuff... I almost wish there was a museum that was like this. Right. Where, I mean, there's just like this added layer of discovery when there are 47 things behind you <laughs> on a on a table there, including a, something of Bette Midler, and yep. we've got... Yeah. Uh, Our anyway. fandom goes far and wide here. Sutro Tower. Thank yep. you, San Franciscan Adam Savage. <laughs> um, you, uh, you know, you're describing what I love about the Exploratorium, too, is yeah. the hand that, that, that you can see the hands of the makers on everything. And I will tell you, I'm I, I part of me. The, obviously, the visual cacophony feeds me, mm-hmm. um, and I like a certain amount of density. This might be just a little too much for me. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. so yeah, we will keep it this way. But it'll be a little more habitable the next time you come. Well, you're you're a Mission District resident, mm-hmm. and um, if it's not the geographic center of San Francisco, but I feel like it's like like the center of the wheel to a lot of points just with transit and mm-hmm. culture and everything. I haven't been here. I've been in Alameda. Yeah. What have you noticed in San Francisco um, changing over this time? And you're, you're someone, I, I remember the last time you came to the Chronicle, you came on your one wheel yeah. and you're using bike lanes, stuff like that. What, what do you notice in San Francisco? Um, so many stages of the way the city changed over COVID. And it was really fascinating. You said Omega Man. That is the movie that I keep thinking about. Mm -hmm. Um, Because those first four or five months in San Francisco and the Bay Area in general general were, as we drove around, and we did a lot of driving around, I think we drove to Golden Gate Park every morning with the dog, it was, we we were clear that we were seeing something we'd never see again. That it was this really weird and amazing confluence of terrible events that yielded us getting to see our city almost empty. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as the city wakes up, I have to say the mission has felt like a very wonderful and safe place. Mask wearing was ubiquitous here. Um, social distancing was very clear. Uh, the I think we had a 14% decrease in the population of San Francisco overall. And I certainly feel that in the mission. And frankly, you know, a lot of the folks that left are at the high end of the income scale. <laughs> and I feel that too. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, it's not to denigrate anybody, but the mission, the mission has been feeling a lot more like it felt back in the 90s. And that's, that's really nice. It feels like it feels much more local. Um, each of the each of the places that I go to regularly, whether it's Panchitas or Ritual Coffee or Papalote or Byright or The Duck. Uh, sorry, that's Duck Loy, the grocery store here yeah. on 18th and Mission. Um, you know, I've, I'm almost, I think I'm on a first name basis with people at every one of those places now. And that's specifically because we all weathered this thing. I, there's a way in which it made the mission feel a lot more like a neighborhood than it has in a long time. And I'm grateful for that. Yeah, I, I've noticed too, just biking around, 
um, I saw a guy today with a SEAL stadium jacket. And, you know, the SEALs are the old PCL baseball team from 1958. So I think normally I would have just gone cool, maybe taken a photo and put it on Twitter. I had a conversation with the guy, yeah. and that's what I'm, another thing I'm hoping we get out of this, you know, that we, that we are uh, friendly with each other and, and appreciative of each other's company, if nothing else. Well, that, that you know... As we, as we started to poke our heads out of the lockdown and reach out to friends and different friends, obviously, I think we all had this experience, had different levels of comfort of getting together. And we, we realized early on, like, whatever pace anyone needs to go at is the pace they need to go at. And it's not personal and that is totally cool. And that latitude feels beautiful. And I hope it lasts and deepens into the culture of yeah. uh, shedding some of those expectations we 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 lump on each other and just sort of letting uh, let you know we're all going through this together and we can each go at our own pace and i really appreciate that yeah well i there are no good segues in a pandemic i've learned <laughs> on podcasts but um I'm excited to get back to theaters. I've done that a couple times. I'm excited to get back to, you know, I'll get in in a restaurant soon. Um, and I'm excited about a convention, just the idea of it. Yeah. You know, we went from you and I were going to talk about this last year to there's postponements and then there's a date. Yeah. August uh, 28th, 29th. We've, we've shortened the convention from two, sort of three days to two days. Yeah. Um, and we currently have a, a restriction, uh, I think of 5,000 people per day through the convention hall. But these are moving targets. Sure. And we're working with the convention center. This is the largest event that's going to be held at the San Jose Convention Center in a long time <laughs> when we show up. Uh, and the center and the city of San Jose have been really great working with us. Um, we just want to create a space where people can come back to a con and feel safe to do it, but really to see each other and exult about the franchises again that, like, just we can't stop thinking about well, we're going to get into the. Uh, I have a lot of specific uh, silicon. I'm sorry, silicon or silicon? Silicon. Thank you, silicon con, uh, convention. I got specific questions later. I wanted to ask you though uh, about your first convention and your first experience at cons. What was that that like? Because I think of you now, really specifically, Adam Incognito and having a panel and everything. But I'm wondering if you had that experience, you know, before MythBusters, before. Um. I did have one con experience before Mythbusters, and it was going to a Trek con at the Hyatt here in San Francisco. That's the one with the huge internal atrium. Oh, yeah. I lived, I grew up like two miles from that. Yeah. Right. So my buddy and I went there, I think in 1991, mm -hmm. to a con there. And it was amazing. It was, I talk now about cons being a a really important kind of theater in which the line between the audience and the performers is not just blurred. It doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And I, my friend and I walked into the Hyatt, which is like, you know, was it 36 stories or 28 stories of open space indoors. And everyone you can see is wearing a Starfleet uniform or as a Klingon or a <laughs> Romulan. And I'm like, this is magical. And we just went to get the badges that go, yeah. That's it. That's all we wanted was the badges that go. <laughs> and what we were treated to was so exciting. Uh, 
And then I forgot all about cons. It just, they didn't occur to me as a thing to go do. Yeah. Uh, and then Comic-Con started becoming ascendant in the early aughts, San Diego Comic-Con, and I was paying attention. I really wanted to go, but Mythbusters production was literally full-time. I mean, year-round, yeah. year-round, year-round. But then in 2007 or so, uh, San Diego Comic-Con reached out and invited Mythbusters to do a panel at Comic-Con. And I looked around and I noticed that... I noticed that there were no other reality shows at San Diego Comic-Con. Later, Penn and Teller showed up, and I, I know Bill Nye has come a couple times, but Mythbusters was alone on this little peninsula, a cultural peninsula of mm. being at Comic-Con, and I loved that. And what I, what I learned and realized is there's this wonderfully deep science track at all the cons, this, um, this deep critical thinking track. And I'm not, I still don't quite know what it is that connects the cosplayers with the folks who wear utilicilts with the <laughs> science track critical thinkers and skeptics. And yet, here is this thing that unifies all those in different degrees for different cons, and it's phenomenal. Yeah. So I went to San Diego in 2007. I decided, oh my God, I have to walk the floor. And I spent several months really quietly, not telling anyone, putting together a pretty elaborate Hellboy costume. Yeah. And I thought, this will be great. I'll blend right in. And I didn't know that putting on a costume that covers your whole body, first of all, there is no such thing as a full body costume that doesn't make you sweat like nobody's business. Um, but second of all, when you put on a full body costume, you do stand out at any con because it's a lot of labor and effort to do it. And it's recognized by your fellow cosplayers. And I was more of a rock star walking around as a six and a half foot tall Hellboy than I would have been as a Mythbuster. <laughs> I actually did an interview with a news station and they said, can you tell us our name, your name? And I said, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. I, so were you in, I mean, was that? A point where you're like, I want to go to as many of these as possible, and were you able to? I, I know how well, busy I certainly you are. wasn't able to during MythBusters. Um, it, just like I said, it was a year-round job, so taking time out to do cons was was difficult. It wasn't until we wrapped up MythBusters in 2015, and I started to, you know, it took me about a year to get my bearings in mm. this new reality. Uh, and I took other shows to Discovery, and they brought other shows to me, and we did a couple of shows together. Um, but around about three years ago, my team and I started to realize how much fun the cons were, uh, and how, how, yeah, we, we set up in 2020 to do, I think seven or eight cons. Yeah. In addition to Silicon. And I mean, I'm doing them all this year later in the fall, but it was like, yeah, that, that 2020 was going to be like the coming out year of like, Adam's going to go and do as many cons as possible. Um, so that was a, you know, that was a surprising change in, in when April, when March happened. Yeah. Uh, so you never got to go to a WonderCon at no. Moscone? No. No. By the time, it literally is like, again, with Mythbusters, it was just such a slog. But there was this point in which I was like, hey, there's a local con. I want to go to it. And that's when I found out that WonderCon moved down to moved down south. It was so, lo I, I'm very thankful. I, I know the people who started it. I mean, back when it was in... Oakland and, uh, you know, it was a tiny thing. It was yeah. a comic book central thing, you know, before and then Hollywood came in later. But um, one thing I appreciated about Silicon Valley Comic Con is that it was clear that the city wanted it. And yeah. um, WonderCon, you know, I'm not going to get into the politics, but I'll just say that um, a bunch of plastic surgeons coming during the week 
book hotel rooms that are open and a bunch of con fans, a lot of them local, coming on the weekend are going in hotel rooms that you know they aren't getting the expensive ones and they're going in the in, in hotels that are already booked. Right. So it didn't I, I think San Francisco didn't see it as a win. And it seems like Silicon Valley Comic Con and you were there from the beginning uh, was a win for everyone from the beginning. I, I mean, th- it was hard. It's hard to start a con. But. I think you're totally right about that. Uh, I, you know, Silicon was always envisioned as a very tech-heavy con because of its location in the valley, uh, with Waz being uh, integrated from the from the get-go. Um, and yeah, there, like to me, getting to 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 join those things together. And San Jose has been phenomenal. Um, the addition for me that I that I wanted to bring when we started last year and that we are bringing this year is to add the maker contingent, mm-hmm. um, which is part of every single con. I just want Silicon to be thought of as the maker's con. This is where we're going to have workshops in the complicated parts of doing cosplay, in cosplay performance. We want to bring in Hollywood costumers to talk about the symmetry between what it's like to wear a costume for a movie and what it's like to wear one on the floor of a con. Uh, And that's not to say it doesn't have all the other things that cons have. That's just my focus is is in the physical making. And I find this, the cosplay, I find the cosplay community to be so generous in its lack of gatekeeping. Mm-hmm. And I know that that's still an issue across the board, here and there, but for the most part, to the largest degree, there's almost no gatekeeping within the cosplay community, and I really appreciate that. And um, one of my life goals is to eliminate gatekeeping wherever I can find it, because uh, you know I don't think that there's such a thing as a true fan who gets to call themselves a true fan. I think that delineation is uh, is damaging and elitist and ridiculous. Um, the only thing that you need for membership in this is your enthusiasm. We'll be right back after this short break. I, I think that's something, and I've been going since I was a kid, and, and conventions were something, a place where I felt comfortable at a time where I didn't feel comfortable in other places. Mm-hmm. And, and the one kind of, there's a bunch of different tribes yeah, but all of those tribes seem to have the code of inclusion, and it's been that way for me since I was a kid. And I remember it wasn't the five hundred first, but it was whatever was before the five hundred first. People making really cool replica Star Wars costumes. Yeah. I remember going up uh, at a pretty young age and saying something was cool, and the person wasn't like, "Well, you could never make this." It was like, "Oh, well, you should," you know. Go start carving up the boxes in your and, and build on your. I, I just always remembered that as a through line. So it seems like making just would slot right in there. I agree, and you know the the uh, from the first con that I went to, uh, social media back in two thousand seven wasn't nearly what it is today. Yeah, uh, and I point that out by way of pointing out that these communities have all been able to blossom in the age of uh, of. YouTube and Vimeo and ways in which we can share these, this information and our explorations with each other. And yeah, that, that inclusivity is so, it's so heartwarming, to mm-hmm. be honest. Um, when you, one of my favorite costumes to see at a con, 
there are like like you said, there are multiple tribes, and at any given con, the attendees fall into a bunch of different tribes. There are people who have to be there because they're there for work. There are people that have planned all year to go. There are people that have planned all year and brought a costume. And then there are people who think at the last minute, let me go and wait a minute, I think I should wear a costume. And they throw together something <laughs> out of scraps in their house. And you can see how primitive it is, but they made an effort. And they're there wearing like, maybe it's just a red shirt instead of Superman's top, but they've drawn Superman's S on there. And I'm so in love with that person right now <laughs> when I see them because that's the soul of what got me into this. Yeah, Like, let me put this thing on. And I didn't realize back then, when I first did that, when I first made like a road warrior costume when I was 14, I didn't realize that I was literally pouring my body into a narrative that was important to me. And I was, in a way, starting to glimpse it from the inside. And what a, what a beautiful magic trick to be able to perform. What did that road warrior costume look like? Did you go with Mad Max or did you go with one of the... Um, I did it. It was actually my very first... Uh, Quote, cosplay was like a, uh, well, the first costume I built thinking of it as a costume was a suit of armor. And I yeah. made two of them. And they were both inspired by Excalibur. Um, and then in my senior year in high school, Road Warrior was playing constantly on HBO. Uh, it had replaced Beastmaster as the most <laughs> <laughs> played movie. Hey, Beastmaster's on exactly. was what everybody <laughs> called HBO back in the days. Um, and I had I had bought a leather jacket. I'd sewn a football pad into one arm like Mel Gibson had. And then I had left over from my suit of armor an extra forearm van brace made out of roofing aluminum. And I dressed it up and added a bunch of switches and stickers to it. And I made that part of my leather jacket costume. And I felt, I felt powerful. Mm. And feeling powerful was not something I regularly felt when I was 16, 17 years old. Feeling there was a way in which, like, yeah, I, at one point, this kid in my school said something to me. And I, like, literally stood up and fronted right back. And he was like, oh, check out Adam, who's all confident now that he's got some metal on his arm. <laughs> and I was, I felt so pinned to the wall so exposed but at the same time he was totally right i i was i was being seen right yeah. i that he was seeing that this thing made me feel in a different way i've been chasing that high ever since that's awesome um well let's let's take that to a thirty thousand foot view and what do you want in a convention that you have some control over and what are some things that you don't want? And it, that can segue into, you know, what kind of changes we might see this year, but um, what, what are the things that you just want in a convention and what are things that you don't? Well, I want, every, uh, first of all, I want everybody who's attending to walk in, have an amazing time, be thrilled and surprised and uh, emboldened uh, and feel safe. And feel safe on multiple levels. Right now, we're talking about working with San Jose and the Convention Center to follow all the correct protocols so everyone can feel safe from a health standpoint that we've been dealing with for a year. Mm -hmm. At the same time, there are also women who go to cons and don't feel safe in this in the costumes that they wear. Um, and they might not feel safe just because of the way people are taking pictures. There's a whole ethos of taking pictures at a con, and it involves permission. Yeah, that that I saw that two years ago. All the signs went up, and it... Uh, it made me think. It made me reassess. You know, I don't think I was out there gawking at 
women, but I would I wouldn't think I'd see a cool costume and I'd take it, and I probably made someone feel uncomfortable right. along the way. And the best part about asking permission is what happens is is the person you ask permission is now going to go into the pose of their costume. Every one of us who builds one has one or several poses, and that means your photo's going to be better, and you're all going to be part of the part of the thing. Mm-hmm. I, like I said, I want everyone to go and feel safe, exulting in whatever weird freak flag they feel like flying. Mm-hmm. That's the most primary thing. Um, you know, I, a space for vendors to come and show off their wares in a way that they couldn't in other in other venues. That's a, another lovely thing. A place for the, the large Hollywood franchises to come show off their new stuff and for stars to come and talk to the fans directly. Um, it's also, you know, a lot of the people I know who, uh, famous people I know who regularly go to cons just love the atmosphere specifically because there is such a great back and forth between the fans and the, and the, the actors and performers they love. Yeah. Well, I, I'll tell you how I... I can usually tell, I feel like it's a good con if the R2 Builders Club is just roaming around. You know, <laughs> if they're in their spot and they're only in their spot, then they don't real, really feel comfortable roaming around. Maybe there's some rules that are set, maybe, maybe just the vibe, I don't know. But when I see the R2-D2 people, and I love it, they always hide behind a pillar they to totally just like keep do. the magic. And... No, having R2 bust up a photo op is the best. <laughs> it's the absolute best. And you're like... It, this is again where the theater becomes uh, becomes completely immersive. Yeah. yeah. Well, a couple of technical things just on the mm-hmm. William Shatner's coming. William Shatner's That's the coming. First, We're going to throw him a birthday party. <laughs> first big name that I saw. Um, will he be? Will you may not know, but will he be uh, doing an event? Or I, I remember, I think the last time Schwarzenegger was there, and I don't know that anybody ever saw him unless they paid for it. <laughs> Um, I, I, I can't speak exactly to the schedule of what Bill Shatner is going to be doing at the con. Um, but yes, he's going to be doing several things. Uh, at, at least, you know, I'm bringing down my captain's chair that sits in the corner of my cave. And <laughs> I keep joking that we're going to carry him around in it like a litter, you know, with, with six, six, six strong guys. But that may actually happen. Who knows? <laughs> um. Where are you going to be? Uh, any chance the Civic Auditorium comes back? Uh, do you know right now? Um, no, I think we're I think we're going to keep it right to the convention center. But uh, I can't say never say never. Again, as the as the restrictions change, so too might our ambitions. So too might the signups. Yeah, uh, and that will inform everything. Awesome. And uh, what are we going to see in the next few months? Are, are we going to have a rollout of names? Yeah, or, yeah. That's what you, over the next. I mean, one of the difficulties is we're having to plan this con in a third of the time we would normally have. Uh, and obviously because it's at lower capacity, we're working with a, a tighter budget, of course, like everybody is. Again, the convention center has been a great partner in that regard. Um, but yes, over the next few months, we'll be releasing a lot more names, a lot more events. Um, we'll be having workshops. We'll be talking about those. We'll be having experts come in. We've got some, uh, I'm excited about bringing in some of my old industrial light and magic compadres to talk on a host of levels about behind the scenes throughout movie history because many of my friends here in the bay area encompass a wide swath of latter 20th century cinema history and i'm so excited about getting to put them on stage and pepper them with questions about it i i can't agree more i mean you have all of the people who uh who 
built the snow walkers are here yeah. and we'll talk about it. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. uh, and, and I, I love those kinds of panels and, uh, so you've got me excited. Um, tell me again, the dates are August 28th and 29th. People yep. can buy tickets now. People can buy tickets now. SiliconSJ.com is the website. And if you keep an eye on that and our, our social channels and my social channels, um, every announcement that comes up, we'll go through all of those and really get your tickets now. We cannot wait to see people out there on the floor and in the full finery of whatever costumes they want to bring. I also, I expect there's going to be this subset of cosplay this year that actively incorporates uh, filtered masks. And I'm really <laughs> curious about where that's going to show up. I got five characters going through my head right now. Um, all right, well, I wanted to close with uh, Adam Incognito. Um, I think you already started to tell me the story, but it, where it started, and if you just get a couple stories of some of the costumes that you've made over the years. Yeah. So, so after, after, Hell, after Hellboy was the first one. Hellboy right? was the very first one, and I think shortly after that, I did a V for Vendetta very quietly at uh, Dragon Con. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this very funny moment at DragonCon. I'm wearing a full V costume, and much of it is screen used. It's a beautiful costume, and I'm purchasing, um, I think, a Farnsworth uh, from uh, dist- uh, what do you call it? Warehouse 13. Warehouse. Yeah, mm-hmm. I- I'm buying a Farnsworth device built by my friend John Eblen, and the guy who's ringing it up, I hand him the credit card, and he gets the credit card, and he looks at the name, and he stops. <laughs> And then he slowly tilts his head up to my V for Vendetta mask. And I just put my finger to my lips and he goes back down and finishes <laughs> ringing up. I sign a thing for him and I move on my way. I think the the, the very following year at, at San Diego, I did um, the bank heist Joker from The Dark Knight. Awesome. Heath Ledger's Joker from The Bank Heist. And that's the one where uh, Catherine Nelson used to be the head of Discovery PR and I were talking uh, with Kristen Lomazny, my right hand, and we realized, oh, let's have a scavenger hunt. Let's have me hit the floor and see if people can find me. Oh, what do we call it? Adam Incognito. It was, that's how long it took to conceive <laughs> of this thing. It's yeah. all of five minutes. And it started this incredible, wonderful thing where uh, I did it at every con and I still do it at every con I go to. Uh, sometimes I bring super obvious costumes. Sometimes I bring deep cuts. A few years ago, I started bringing costumes that didn't cover my face. I did a Jack Sparrow that took longer to find me <laughs> than when I was a stormtrooper. And there's like a million stormtroopers on the floor. Um, at this point, there are some people who, if they know I'm going to a con, they just go up to everyone in a full mask and say, Adam, is that you? <laughs> um, every time I do it, I feel like it, brings me deeper into the community of cosplayers. And I still feel like a newbie here. I mean, I get to go to these cons. I do all sorts of different things. I do signings and photo ops and uh, panels. And sometimes I'm the interviewer. Sometimes I'm the interviewee. But when I put on the costume, I get to do it discreetly, right? Not discreetly, but I get to do it within a discreet amount of time. I get to go put on the costume for a couple of hours and then take it back off. A lot of cosplayers are going to con and wearing that stuff all day. And I know a little bit about what that's like, but I like I get the luxury of being able to take that costume back off and still be at the con. So again, like I said, I still feel like a bit of a newbie and I'm continually grateful for the way in which the community continues to welcome me and uh, let me play. What's the hottest you've been in a costume? The hottest I've been in a costume was absolutely wearing uh, John Hurt's Kane spacesuit from Alien. 
which is effectively like wearing a couple of quilts that are tied around you. <laughs> um, and you put a helmet on top of that. My helmet had fans in it, and all they served to do was to move the moist air around. And I, serious, I came seriously close to passing out of heat exhaustion. I now... I now possess multiple versions of cool shirt and reciprocating cooling technologies to incorporate into costumes. And I, I have a, a bunch of times to make sure that doesn't happen again. But yeah, the alien spacesuit, man, I almost didn't make it off the floor standing. What, what, do you, what did you put a cooling system in? I mean, how does that work? Uh, actually, uh, the, the following, a couple of years later, I did the, the 2001 silver spacesuits. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually, I made two of them at the time. And so the other one was worn by Commander Chris Hadfield, the astronaut from the <laughs> International Space Station. And when I did that, I, again, it's like I'm wearing this sealed vinyl quilt so I used cool shirts, which are used for by uh, 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 auto uh, uh, automobile. What do you call it? Race car drivers. Yeah. That's it. Race car drivers wear these reciprocating uh, cool shirts with tubes in them and cooling systems. And I actually built an ice-driven reciprocating cooling system into the 2001 backpacks that went through, and then. I got to give a first to Chris Hadfield, who had never put on a fake space suit. And then he's telling me just how much the experience of wearing this matches his experience oh, of wearing good. a suit. So, like, the first time I put on my reciprocating cooling system, I found out that my body heat can melt, um, like, five pounds of ice in eight minutes. Yeah. Uh, and Chris was like, yeah, you don't keep the cooler on all the time. You turn it on as needed and keep turning it off. You turn it on as needed. And that was exactly the same <laughs> protocol I discovered for my own. Um, uh, and since then, uh, yeah, I've worn it for a couple of others. I wore it in my Totoro costume. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't need it amazingly in my Chewbacca costume, which is weirdly one of the cooler costumes I have because, uh, it's not, it's not sealed. Actually, all the hair of Chewbacca's is latch hooked onto netting. So when there's a cool breeze, I feel it. It's that like, costume. you're like a Chewbacca. I you're, am you're like literally a, a Chewbacca. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Do you have a favorite? Uh, do you? I know they're all your children, but is there either a favorite or one that was just the best experience? It's it, it's hard to beat being Chewbacca. Yeah. People are so blown away when they see a full sized, like, and full size. Sorry, I, like I'm a short Chewbacca at seven feet, uh, but at seven feet, I'm still a pretty imposing thing. And frankly, people just come up and hug you. Yeah. Like they just see a Chewbacca and they're like, well, Chewbacca would let me hug him. And it's, yeah, come on, let's do it. <laughs> Bring it in. Um, the Totoro costume too. Both Chewbacca and Totoro are like antidepressants. Yeah. Like when you walk around in those costumes, you are just spreading so much love and people are so much losing it to see such a thing in person. It's pure delight. Well, that's that's awesome. You're gonna do it again this year? Absolutely. I've got an incognito. I've got a big, wonderful, elaborate uh, uh, incognito plan for Silicon, um, plus a couple of miners, and actually a whole bunch of my costume collection will be on display at Silicon. I want to show off what I've made, and I want to inspire others. I want to show the range, and I'm also gonna bring some movie costumes, some pieces from my collection built for films again so people can see the real thing up close um some of my best reference material has come from uh the costumes that franchises bring to cons it's often a rare opportunity to see some of these things up close and personal and i i'm going to be providing that opportunity that's awesome well i'll look forward to that um thank you for having me back and i've just got to say like 
just riding around on my bike, I'm having these positive interactions. I can't imagine what it's going to be like at a con. Right. I am looking forward to it. Right. So. I mean, here's one of my experiences of, of, of the community of a con. And it extends, so this is a story about Maker Faire, San Mateo Maker Faire, which I think of kind of as a con. Yeah. Right, it's a maker's con, but it's it's right up there. Uh, and a, a few years ago, I wasn't able to make it to Maker Fair, and I'd been to every single one, but this one I wasn't able to make it. And I was flying back home a few days later, and I was in SFO, just walking out of the airport, and there was somebody there, and I was like, we paused, and we were next to each other, and he looked up, and he goes, "Oh, hey, I missed you last week," and I knew that he meant at Maker Fair. And I've never met this person before. He's never met me, but we both know exactly what we're talking about. And I said, I'll see you next year. And he's like, cool. Like that level of familiarity of, uh, of the fans is, is just what I love about the cons. And it just exists every, every year I go and I get to see people I haven't seen in a long time and exult. And it's an unparalleled experience. If you're thinking about doing it, if you're imagining that you might have fun doing it, I'm going to tell you, you are going to have so much fun. Come on along. I, I, I think the vibe's going to be fantastic. Uh, <laughs> thank you again. Thanks for having me back in your cave, and uh, glad you're safe and well. Anytime, Peter. Absolutely. It's delightful to see you in person. In person. It was such a novelty. I was like, tell Peter he can come on down. I want to see a human. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Adam. Thanks, man. You are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Thank you to our guest, Adam Savage. Our music is The Tide Will Rise by the Sunset Shipwrecks off their album Community and Cable Car Bell Ringing by eight-time champion Byron Cobb. Support Total SF in the newsroom that creates it and consider getting a digital Chronicle edition less expensive than you think. Get it at sfchronicle.com slash pod. 